you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verses 17 through 20 this morning. And this is one of those passages that um, we read and go, I'm not really sure what he means by that. And that's okay. So we're going to uh, unpack that this morning. And um, I can tell you this week that, that um, as much study as I have done in my life, um, as a as as a pastor, I have learned a tremendous amount this week. I'm um, just in my own heart and what the Lord has done in me. Um, our aim is 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 simple this morning: is that Jesus came to give you a new heart. Jesus came to give you a new heart. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it's a precursor to what Jesus is coming to do. And the prophet says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It came to give us a new heart and so to answer that simply answers the question of today of what does it mean for Christ to come and fulfill the law he came to give us a new heart and so we're going to unpack that this morning but as we start I want to I want to do something for us I want you to see something hear something really because this is like the media team doesn't even know I'm doing this so just hang on okay I think sometimes we fail to see Jesus in the Old Testament. We think that he is confined to the parameters of the New Testament because he was here. But that's not the God we serve. And so I want to read with you, just read for you just a minute. In Genesis, Jesus is a creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Numbers, he's water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he delivers us from all injustice. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's all in one. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. In 2 Samuel, he's the king of grace and love. In 1 Kings, he is a ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he's the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, he's the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, he's the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he's the priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, he's the one who restores what is broken. In Esther, he's the protector of his people. In Job, he's the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he's our song in the morning and in the night. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our meaning for life. In Song of Solomon, he's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for 
for us. And Ezekiel, he's the son of man. And Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire with us. And Hosea, he's the faithful husband, even when we run away. And Joel, he is sending his spirit to his people. In Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he's the judge of those who do evil. In Jonah, he's the greatest missionary. In Micah, he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims future world peace we cannot even imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he's the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, prophesies a Messiah pierced for us. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who brings healing. That's Jesus. That's our king. How does he come to fulfill the law this morning? He was always meant to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask this morning, as we unpack your word, God, that you would be clear with us, that you would help us to understand it, Father, but then would you help us to take it and apply it to our lives and how we live. Because how we live matters. Father, would you work in us this morning? It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, let's just start right out of the bat here. First of all, do not think, right? This, this word here, think, is, is to regard or to ponder, right? Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples who are very close to him, and then there's other people scattered on the mountain, okay? This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. We started in, uh, in, in chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5 starts with the Beatitudes, and then we walked through salt and light last week, and Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you live your life, right? And this is who you are. And now he's going to say, you live your life according to the Beatitudes. You live your life because you are, you are called to be salt and light. But, but here's why. Here's why. And then, and then he's going to break down some specific ways that your life changes because he came to fulfill the law. Okay? And, and so what we see here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Well, oftentimes when Jesus says these things, it's because he's already reading their minds because he's God, right? <laughs> so I wonder if some of these disciples are sitting here wondering, I bet he came so we don't have to obey all those laws that the religious leaders say we have to obey, right? Because keep in mind, who are his disciples? They're not the cream of the crop, right? All the disciples are the, are, the, are the ones who have chosen to go back home and, and learn their father's trade because they couldn't quite cut it to be a religious leader, right? And, and then you've got Matthew, who's this tax collector. Right? You can't help but wonder, as Jesus is sitting here, hey, 
do not think that I have come to abolish the law that I wonder if there were some those disciples going man yeah we don't have to follow all the rules how many of you are a rule follower in here I'm with you how many of you are like nope I'm the rebel okay there's like three of you that admitted that okay all right Sean's back there me 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 right I see you Stephen you too man right so so but but here Jesus says hey don't think that I've come to abolish the law but I've come to fulfill the law and so that's our first point this morning is that he fulfills the law well how how does Jesus fulfill the law well well here's the deal is that we go back to the old testament and when the law is given to god's people the law is given to direct them into right relationship with god god gives them boundaries but god also gives them expectations of what it means to and how it looks to be in right relationship with him exodus chapter 20 right it's the ten commandments I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? He lays down the law and says, hey, if you walk in this, if you walk according to this, it leads you into right relationship with me. So, so the law is set up so that we would walk in right relationship with him. There's expectations set out. How many of you like expectations? Like, if you're given a task, we've talked about this before, right? If you're given a task, you know what you're supposed to do, you know the parameters you're supposed to stay in, and you can do that, right? But what if somebody just says, hey, go do it? We're like, uh, how many of you are like freaking out in your head right now that that, that would even happen, right? Okay, right? Most of us like expectations. At your job, you like expectations, don't you? Because you can walk within those parameters, right? In my marriage, we have expectations of one another. Speaking of, you should all register for the marriage conference, okay? Right? But in our marriage, we have expectations because if, if we set expectations and we voice those expectations, that's key, men and women. If you say the expectation... Right? Don't assume that anybody knows. If we say that expectation and we walk in that, our relationship thrives, doesn't it? So God does the same thing for you and I in the Old Testament. He lays down the law and he's, he's, the whole purpose of the law is so that you and I would walk in right relationship with him. But what happened? Did Israel do that? Good. They didn't, did they? But what does God do? Because God is gracious and He's kind. He provides a way to restore that relationship, doesn't He? He provides the sacrificial system. And in that sacrificial system, you had to bring something to sacrifice in order to be back in a right relationship with God. But not only that, then the priests would take... Um, they would sacrifice one and they would take and pronounce all the sins on another on the day of atonement and release that scapegoat far away from the camp to remove the sin of the people away from the people right and so god not only sets up the law and says hey here's the expectations 
when you walk in it, you're walking in a right, right, right relationship with God. But when you fail, hey, here's a way that now you can be restored into a right relationship with God. That's the law. That's how it's set up. And then I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. So then listen, what happens is, is that when Jesus says that I came to fulfill the law and not abolish the law, here's what he does. Jesus is ultimately the final sacrifice for you and me. He comes in and he lives this perfect life and he goes willingly to the cross and he sacrifices himself. God sacrifices his only son to cover your sin and my sin once and for all. So that when we walk and we're walking in right relationship with God and we mess up, now we put our faith, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus. Now instead of God seeing our sin and wanting to punish us because he's a righteous judge, now God sees the sacrifice that was made for you and me. And the sacrifice is Jesus. And so when, when he says, I've come to fulfill the law, not abolish it, Jesus is saying, I've come because I'm the one that's going to put you in the right relationship with God forever. That's who he is. So he came and he says, I've come to fulfill the law. But then he's going to go on and he's going to say this. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait, what? Right? You, you came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. But yeah, we got these Pharisees and scribes saying, I got to do this, 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 and this. But yet I'm supposed to be as righteous or more righteous than they are? Is your head hurt yet? Right? Like, like, what, what is going on here? Well, well, first of all, okay, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What, what I want you to see and understand is that every part of this book from Genesis of Revelation has a purpose and it has a plan. And not a single thing will be removed. Not a single thing should be changed until all is accomplished. And God is overseeing that, and I'm thankful for it. He's sovereign over it. And when Jesus says, hey, not a single an iota or dot, okay, this, is, this goes back to the Hebrew language where they, they literally have little, little what you would call an apostrophe, and they have little dots over letters to, to communicate things in the Hebrew language. This is what he's talking about is these things, none of these things, not a single one will pass away before God accomplishes what he came to accomplish. But then he goes on and he tells us what? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Wait, you just said you came. I'm so confused, right? No, what he's saying is this. Here, listen, okay? He came to fulfill the law. He is the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. But the second point this morning is this, is that he demands our obedience and surrender. He demands our obedience and our surrender. It's not cheap grace that I get to trust in it and then I'm good. I got my fire insurance. That's not what this is. He's called us to something greater. Well, how is that? Well, because here's the deal. He's after your heart. He's after your heart. He came to give you a new heart. He's after your heart. And here's the deal. Here's, here's the thing with the religious leaders of the day, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, is that, is that they, um, their, their righteousness was external, right? You flip over to Matthew 22. We're not going to do that right now. But, but he calls them whitewashed tombs, right? He says, hey, look, you, you look good on the outside, but you're rotting on the inside. Because ultimately what God is saying is like, hey, I want you to be obedient to this, but I want you to surrender to it. Right? We can be obedient to something and not surrender to it, can't we? Yeah. I can, I can do everything right and not be surrendered to it. Right? And, and I, my fear sometimes is that's what happens in church, is that we, we play the part really well. Right? I look good. I, I go to church. I tick all the boxes. I may even teach a Sunday school class. I'm not calling you out, teachers. I'm just saying, like, in general, right? But, but we look the part, and we play the part really, really well. And, and, and so much so that we may have even convinced ourselves that we're doing great. But Jesus nails it to the wall when he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he he mean by that? Well, he means this, is that his sacrifice on the cross is the only way that you and I ever gain righteousness. The only way. Isaiah tells us that that your your best day is as filthy rags to him. That the only way that you get righteousness, that I get righteousness, is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Right? Look look with me at 2 Corinthians. This is not in there, media, so you're good. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. So when Jesus says here to his disciples and to all those listening, right? Your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees 
that of the scribes of the day. What he's saying is, the only way that's ever going to happen for you is to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to surrender all to him. But here's the deal. I put these words up there purposely, okay? I said first that, that we have to surrender. We have to, he demands our obedience and our surrender. But, but here's what it really looks like. He demands our surrender and our obedience follows. Because when we surrender our lives to him, when we surrender our heart to him, scripture is very clear. It says that we are, we are made a new creation. We are made a new creation. And in that, what happens is out of my surrender to him, I then walk in obedience to him. And, and so out of surrender to him, when he says that, that, that my righteousness should exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, then, then when I put my faith and trust and surrender my heart to him and he gives me a new heart, now, man, it's easy for me to walk in obedience. Because when I'm surrendered to him, I fall deeply in love with him. And I want nothing more than to be obedient to him. Right? So what does this mean for us? Like, how does this apply to our lives? How do we, what, what do we, what do, we do with this? Great information, Brady. Right? Well, here it is for you and I. We, we have layers to us, right? Ever seen Shrek? Donkeys have layers. Right? We we are we 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 have layers to us as as humans. Okay? It's how we experience, it's how we interact with the world. Okay? The first layer to us is our social layer, right? Our social relationships, how we interact with people, right? How we inter interact with the environment around us. Okay? That, that's that's kind of the first layer to us, right? And then the second layer to us is just kind of our person, our body, our, how we physically present ourselves, what you wear, uh, whether you shave, whether you have a beard, whether you have hair or not. Like, it's, it's how we present ourselves. I know, I know you can't necessarily control that. I can't, but um, uh, my hair anyway. So, like, how we present ourselves, right, our body, how we take care of our body, those things. And, and then the third layer to us is our mind. It's, it's how we process things. It's how we process emotion it's how we really experience spiritual realities it's how we think about things okay um we contemplate things and, and then the last layer is our heart it's our will it's our spirit right it's it's the deepest recesses of who we are it's the things that that we process and we think about that nobody else knows about right but it's but it's our heart and and it's really the will of who we are and here's, here's the difference between Jesus and every other religion. Is that Jesus starts with the heart. And he transforms your heart. And when you surrender your heart and your will to him and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. When you surrender your heart to him, what begins to happen is now my will is conformed to the truth of God's word. Now my will says, okay, this is what it says. This is how I'm going to live. And so when that begins to get transformed, 
it then makes its way out, right? Your will then begins to transform your thinking and how you process things. And, and the truth of God's word begins to become prevalent in your mind instead of what the world tells you. And then what happens is it begins to affect your body. It begins to affect how you see yourself. It begins to affect all kinds of things, right? The truth of God's word is permeating. And then what happens is that it goes the another layer and it affects your social interactions and it affects your relationships and how you treat people and how you speak to people. And, and, and that's who Jesus is. Where every other religion says, hey, get it right and act right and do this and follow these rules and you'll be okay. Jesus says, no, I've come to give you a new heart and I'm going to transform not only your heart, but I'm going to transform your mind, I'm going to transform your body, and I'm going to transform everything about you so that your interactions with everyone are different than the rest of the world. That's who Jesus is. And when Jesus says, I've came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, that's what he means. He's come to give you a new heart. To change who you are. And to fulfill ultimately that there's no more need for a sacrifice. Because he has done it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, for those that are in this place this morning that maybe for the first time, Jesus coming and fulfilling the law makes sense. Maybe for the first time, someone has some clarity about who Jesus is. Father, would you work in hearts? Father, would you would you transform and make new some hearts right now? I'm going to invite you this morning, if, if you are here and, in, and that's where you're at, I just want you to, if the Lord is pressing upon you and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus with, with your head bowed and your eyes closed and your heart open to surrendering to him, just pray this with me. It's just a, it's just a prayer of admission. A prayer of, of, of admitting who you are and admitting who God is. But it's the first step in, in, in Him transforming your life. But would you just pray with me? This is you. Father, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I confess him as the Lord, as the King, as the Savior of my life. Give me a new heart in this moment. Father, for those that may have prayed that for the first time, Father, I pray that you would just can, in this moment begin to work in their minds. You've given them a new heart, God. May they begin to walk with you.
Father, this is your time. May we respond accordingly. In your name we pray. Amen.